in prayer, and we're going to get into what God has for us this morning. Father, uh, we're just grateful, as Jim prayed, for what we just um, saw here and what you're doing in Calvary Church, and you get all the credit, and I do pray for these kids and these families and these parents for strength and wisdom and guidance, and for us as a church to be a place of encouragement and support and help uh, as they navigate this journey. Thank you that you give us instructions as our parent as to how you want us to do things and we can press into that now. And so uh, I have nothing to offer folks, God, and I'm grateful that it's the spirit that does anything to transform us and guide us and encourage us and shape us. So um, um, depending on the spirit as always and grateful for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Uh, well, that was pretty spectacular. I don't know about you, uh, but um, I'm just grateful because... Um, man, you want to be part, it's a joy to be part of a church where we're backfilling ourselves, right? Uh, you know, for those of us who are not young parents in our 20s and 30s and a little older parents to look and see that there's the next generation coming is a joy and a testament in one way to the health of a church and a body and to what God is doing in our midst. I'm grateful for that, right? Last week, when you guys walked out of here, you made your cardiologist happy because you bought 42,000 grams of sugar and Krispy Kreme donuts because we have a bunch of teenagers, right, who could be doing anything this summer, but what those teenagers are choosing to do is to give up a week of their time to go serve other people, uh, and that's a joy. In a week or so, we're gonna have uh, some students, some young adults, some high schoolers who are gonna be up here leading us in worship as they've done before, using their gifts to serve the body and to build the body, and we just witnessed this. Um, and with all of that younger generation, man, there's this generation that we got a little gray in our hair that have just been honored to be part of this church and this community and this body for years who are here to do whatever we can to help those who are younger than us as you walk this road. The, there, if I did not have people who were, had a few more wrinkles and gray in their hair above me in parenting, it would have been really, really challenging for me. Um, because every stage, whether it's <clears throat> trying to figure out how the heck you potty train your kid or what do they do when they throw their sippy cup at you across the restaurant at McDonald's or what do you do when you have a kid who's about to be married, I've always had people above me who are like, Bubba, let me tell you what you don't do. And that's been incredibly helpful. And so we, who are one generation ahead, just want to be able to serve and encourage and uh, nurture and help in any way we can. So it's a great Sunday, and I'm grateful for what God is doing. And it's appropriate that today is also Father's Day, where we've had some fathers up here with their children, dedicating them. Um, it's appropriate linked with the text that we're gonna talk about as we think about some things that God, our heavenly father says to us, because here's the reality for these parents and here's the reality for all of us as parents, right? As parents, one of the opportunities that we have, dads, you know this because this is hopefully something you've been doing for many years, we, we have the opportunity to teach our kids how to do some things, and then we have the opportunity to teach our kids over the years what they ought not to do, right? We have the opportunity at different ages and stages of our kids' lives to teach them, man, how to walk, how to ride a bike. Then you find the Calvary Church parking lot, like I've seen some of you do, and like everybody I think who's been on staff has done, and you 
You, you say all the prayers you can and you hand the keys to your child and you say, let's practice driving this car around a parking lot. We teach our kids to walk. We teach our kids to ride a bike. We teach our kids as parents how to drive a car. As they get older, we continue to tell them how to do things and what they should do. We tell them how to scramble eggs. I'm just going to say this. I'm gonna, some of you will leave the church over this, but here it comes, a church split. If you are a parent, <laughs> uh, you know what? There, here, prophetic word right here. If you're a parent and your 18-year-old child does not know how to do the wash, you better go home today and show here's the tide, here's the washing machine, and what you do. We teach our kids how to do their wash, hopefully, right? We teach our kids that when you eat a slice of pizza, you ought not to have a knife and fork anywhere near it. That you fold it and you bite it, right? We teach them that that is what Jesus wants them to do. <laughs> we teach them you do not cut your spaghetti, you twirl your spaghetti. We teach them that the Yankees are better than the Red Sox. <laughs> Thank you, my time here is done, check please. Right? We instruct them, we teach them about what they should do. We also, as parents, a huge part of our opportunity is an opportunity for the parents here is to teach our children what they ought not to do. We teach them what they ought not to do, not because we want to hold back fun times for them or we want them to miss out on things. As a parent, the reason that if you've ever taught your kid or grandchild something they ought not to do, it's because you know that if they do the thing they ought not to do, it's actually going to make things worse for them. We teach our kids not to run in the street. We teach our kids not to touch the hot stove, not to keep them back from having fun and from enjoying things. We teach them those things so that they can actually enjoy their life more, so that they can enjoy things better. We teach them, and I love the prayer to be nice to his sister, right? We, we teach them, hey, don't run in the street, don't touch the hot stove, don't walk up to a stranger's dog and try to pet him, don't put gum in your sister's hair and then try to cut it out, right? We teach them what they should do and what they should know, and then on the flip side, we teach them what they should not do. Well, this morning... As we're <clears throat> two weeks into a new series, uh, man, we have a great opportunity to hear from God, our Heavenly Father, some things that He wants us to avoid, some things that He wants us not to do. And just like the motivation for us in telling our kids is not to keep them from what is good, but to help them more fully enjoy what is good when we give them constraints and rules and some guidance about what not to do, that's God's heart in this. God's heart and what we're going to talk about today is not to ruin your life. It's not so that we're a bunch of stiff people who don't have any joy. It's actually so that you can live more freely. It's actually so that you can experience freedom and experience joy and experience contentment and experience good. We teach our kids what to avoid and what not to do to try to put them in the best chance to succeed. And that is the heart and the motivation of what our Heavenly Father in this new series that we kicked off last week is going to teach us today. We're in a book of the Bible, 1 John, and two of you, I consider this a great success rate, 
Two people went out of their way to say, Peter, we did what you told us to do. We grabbed the bulletin. Well, one of them didn't grab the bulletin. We've grabbed the bulletin and we brought our Bible, right? We've got the word. Our goal here at Calvary is we want to be people, man, right? Bring the word, grab a bulletin. Bring the word, grab a bulletin. What we do at Calvary, if you're visiting, is we open up a book of the Bible 99% of the time and we work through it paragraph through paragraph, verse by verse, so that you don't hear what some random pastor thinks about life, so that you hear what God thinks about life. And so we did that last week in a little teeny, not as teeny as the ones will be coming up, but a little book of the Bible called 1 John. It's easy to find on a digital device because you swipe and touch, but on your Bible, it may be more challenging, but there's a table, context, and index. 1 John. And we kicked this off last week, and we're going to work through it verse by verse in a unique, different kind of way. But um, here's what we saw about the book last week, if you missed us or you didn't get to watch us online or whatever. It was written by the disciple John, the guy that followed Jesus around, a successful fisherman who left his business to follow this young emerging rabbi. John is no longer the 20-year-old fisherman, let's go knuckles on the dock if I don't like what you're saying. John is now probably in his 80s. He's a senior citizen, and he wrote this towards the end of his life, and he's looking at Christians who are going through these really, really challenging moments. And like we said last week, they were having some of the emotions that we have. They were having doubts, and they were having uh, just uncertainties and questions because there was some false teaching that was out there that they were hearing, and they didn't know what it had to do with their relationship with God, and they just didn't really understand what was going on. And so he wrote to these people that were facing persecution and false teaching and doubts about whether God loved them and cared for them when their feelings were telling them some things that may not be true. And he wanted to remind them of certain core truths. He wanted to bring them back to something to try to bring encouragement. And so the big idea of the book of 1 John that we saw last week is that this, the big idea of the book is that God wants you to remember that you and he have a deep and meaningful relationship, fellowship together. If you read the letter of 1 John, uh, all throughout it is this idea of fellowship, fellowship, fellowship. And in the remainder of the letter, right, in these next couple chapters together, what we're going to see in the next few weeks together, John is now going to tell his readers and us kind of two things they ought to avoid in order to best experience this fellowship. Two things to watch out for, two things to not participate in, two things to avoid in order to best leverage this and enjoy the fellowship. And then he'll also tell us one thing that should flow from having fellowship with God. This book, this letter is written to Christians. It's written to people who are in a relationship with God. And that's kind of what the approach is going to be today. And he's telling these people, hey, man, God wants you to remember that you and he have a deep and meaningful relationship. And God wants you to best experience the fullness of that relationship, which does not mean that every day is going to be a good day. But even on the hard days, to best be in the position to experience what it's like to have fellowship with God. So there's two things to watch out for, and there's one thing that should flow from it. And so this morning what we're going to see is the first thing to avoid. For those of us who are in a relationship with God because we put our faith in Jesus, because we've had faith that he was a substitute for us and was punished for us and because of us, and we've responded in faith to that, 
What, what we're going to see is we have fellowship with God. We have a relationship with the God of the universe and something that we should be on guard for and avoid so that we can best flourish in that and enjoy that and understand that and know that. So four things we're going to see in our time together. What to avoid, what to know if you don't avoid that, what helps avoid it, and why to avoid it. So what should we avoid? Why, uh, what do we need to know if we don't avoid that? What helps avoid it and why to avoid it? So what does John, this older guy who wants to impart wisdom and see this next generation flourish, what does he tell his readers who are in fellowship with God to avoid? What does our Heavenly Father, as our parent, want us to avoid, not to keep us back from having fun, but to most experience fulfillment in the relationship. Well, I'm going to read a few verses. What we said last week is the book of 1 John is unlike a lot of books in the Bible. Uh, a lot of books, like the, the narrative books in the Old Testament, the Gospels, most of the letters in the New Testament, man, they are linear. You can start at verse 1, and there's a little thought, and then the writer moves on to a new thought or a new part of the story, and it's linear, it's clear. John is ADD, so we said that he loops, and so he's going to loop in some of these, and we're going to pull different verses out to kind of see where he's making his thoughts. So we're going to read two different verses about what we should avoid. And before we read that, let me just kind of give you two overarching thoughts. You're going to hear some things, and here's the first thing that John's saying that God's saying. John is not suggesting that a Christian is never going to sin again. You're going to hear some of this and you're going to be like, whoa, 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 is he telling me that I'm a Christian and I'm never going to sin? And is he saying if I'm a Christian and I sin, I'm not a Christian? John is not suggesting that a true Christian will never sin again. Just keep that in mind as I read. And the second thing is this. John's not talking about the link between sin and salvation, right? So, Salvation is that idea that gets us into a relationship with God, what we need to do. John's not addressing that. John is saying, hey, once you're in a relationship with God, what impact does sin have? Right? Not whether it gets you into it, but now that you're in it, what we're going to hear about is what impact does the sin have. So what does he say about fellowship and what to avoid? First thing we're going to read, 1 John 1 verses 5 through 8, and then verse 10, and then we'll flip over to uh, chapter 3. So here's 1 John 1, verses 5 through 8, and then 10. <clears throat> this is the message, and this is kind of continuing from where we ended last week. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Skipping down to verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Then John gets a little distracted on another idea. Oh, that reminds me of something else. Then John's like, oh, wait, I was talking about sin. Let me get back to that. And he gets back to that in chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. Kind of the same ideas, just says it different ways. Remember, he's not saying that if you're a Christian, you'll never sin, and he's not talking about sin and salvation. He's talking about fellowship with Christians and the impact of sin, and he says this. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practice lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. 
you know that he, he being Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been sent, uh, because he has been born of God. Lots of really confusing things, so let's just kind of condense it and summarize it, and let's work our way through it. What, What John is doing is he's responding to two different things that these false teachers are saying. Like we kicked off last week, one of the big problems for his readers were there were some people in churches who thought that there was something else to be taught. There was thought that there was this lie to be taught. And so these group of people, like uh, a lot of people, they weren't content to stick with the truth. They wanted to kind of force this untruth. And they didn't just start a little group together. Man, they hired these rotating speakers to go to these churches to try to create some chaos and say, hey, the dude with the microphone told you this, but let me tell you really what's true. So what John is doing is he's taking two of the statements that these false teachers were saying. Here's the first thing they're saying in verse 6. These false teachers were saying, right, this is what it says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, We lie and don't practice the truth. Claim number one by these false teachers. It'd be like if right now somebody busted in that door and ran on stage and said this to you, hey, 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 I don't care what Peter's about to tell you, but listen, you can do whatever you want. If you're a Christian, you can sin all day long, and it doesn't impact the fellowship that you have with God. It doesn't matter what you do, do whatever you want, it's all good. That's the first lie that they were saying. And John responds to that by saying, hey, let me remind you, right? If that is what they're saying, if that's what you buy into, verse 6 of chapter 1, it says, we lie and we don't practice the truth. First claim is if you're a Christian, you can sin all you want, and it's fine. Don't worry about it. Sleep well at night. John's like, nope. Second claim that the false teachers were coming was coming and saying, well, hey, let's not worry about that, but let me tell you something. Really, you know what? You've never sinned. I've never sinned. We've never done anything wrong. There was a second claim that that, that the Christians hadn't sinned, they weren't sinning, and John says, nope, that's a lie. He says that in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So so here's what John's saying. As a Christian, in a relationship, in fellowship with God. He's giving us tools about how to live in that, and he's saying, look, when you're in that relationship, don't deny the fact that you do still sin because you do. Don't deny the fact that you still do sin because you do, and don't minimize the impact that that sin can have on the fellowship. Not getting you out of a relationship Right? What the Bible teaches is you cannot lose your salvation. We're not talking about that, but we're talking about the fellowship. And don't ignore the fact that as a Christian you still do sin and don't minimize the impact that that sin can have on our fellowship with God because of what we're choosing to do. Don't ignore sin. He's writing to them. And don't minimize the impact of sin. 
not because he's trying to keep them from enjoying things, because he's trying to give them a life that is most enjoyable, because he wants them to flourish, because he wants them to have freedom. There is this thought that, well, all my grandparents' rules, all that stupid church's rules, that's constricting my freedom. And so we think whatever sin we're going to draw to, that that's going to make us free. But if you've ever walked that road long enough, you know that that sin doesn't make you free. That sin makes you a slave. And it traps you. And it controls you. And it directs you. And you don't feel free. You feel trapped. The freest place to be is right where God wants you to be, living the way that he wants you to be. Those instructions aren't meant to hurt you. A parent, like I said, well, the reason we tell our kids don't ride your bike across White Plains Road right into traffic is not because we're trying to be a mean, boring old jerk. It's because we know, man, that's not going to be good for the kid, and we love our kids. And as a parent who loves our kids, we don't want them to do things that aren't good for them, and that's God's heart in this. John, in a moment of writing clarity, in case we missed all that, he kind of just is like, okay, here you go, cliff note, right? Let me tweet it to you. Let me forget all those words. Let me give you like a 22-word, you know, instruction, and and here's a summary of it in case we missed it. Bottom line, chapter 2, verse 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. Chapter 2, verse 1, the first thing that he's telling people who are in fellowship with God to avoid is sin. The more someone is in that fellowship with God, the more someone is abiding with God, the less likely they are to chase sin. The more they're abiding with God, the less likely they are to chase sin. And the more that they chase sin, the less they benefit from all that they can get from abiding with God and enjoying fellowship with Jesus. Now, let me own something. And it, it was a men's night. We were watching a video about heaven. And this one of the interviewers made this point, And I'm like, man, I wish that I had disclaimed that and, and said that because it's true, right? But we need to be willing to live with delayed gratification. I think sometimes you hear, man, man, if you're with Jesus, everything's going to be great. Everything, you're going to have everything you want. Well, no, there's going to be things that you might want that you're not going to have because you're going to choose to not do things that Jesus doesn't want you to do. And there is ultimate gratification and contentment and joy and everything you long to feel when we see Jesus. But we're going to be, have to be willing for people who have delayed gratification and are willing to give up some gratification now that we think we'll get from sin in order to experience that later. It's all, not all microwave popcorn, right? What we long for, we're not going to experience by just sticking it in a microwave and 15 seconds later, poof! There's something we're waiting for. There's something you're yearning for. And while we're yearning from that, what we're told is do not sin. Do not sin. People who closely abide in Jesus are less likely to chase sin. And the more they chase sin, the less likely they will be to fully enjoy the benefit of the fellowship with God. Sometimes in life, we don't experience what we can experience. We don't fully appreciate something because we're doing something else. If you go to Zupardi's Pizza and you do not get the sausage pizza, 
you will enjoy the pizza because it's spectacular, but you will miss out on on what you could most fully enjoy by getting the sausage, right? Sometimes in life, we don't fully appreciate something because we're choosing not to do something that'll enable us to most fully appreciate it. If you wait till Maverick is out of the movie theaters, that was free right there. If you wait till Maverick is out of the movie theaters and you sit on your couch and watch it, you will enjoy it because it, it may now be the best movie ever made but you won't most fully enjoy it and you won't most fully get the benefit that you could have gotten if you'd gone in the big screen with the IMAX with the room shaking and the jets flying over your head in 5D, okay? Sometimes in life we don't fully appreciate something because we're choosing not to do something. And maybe this morning for some of us, we're not fully benefiting from appreciating getting everything we can from our fellowship with Jesus because we're choosing to chase sin instead. It doesn't mean God, God has not moved. We are not out of a relationship with God. We're just not fully leveraging what maybe God wants us to experience and to know and to understand and to benefit from and to receive and to enjoy and to grow in because we're running over here chasing it instead. Because we're saying, no, I'll miss out on Maverick in the theater. I'll just wait to watch it on my iPhone on a screen this size. It's like, man, you're going to miss out. Maybe for some of you this morning, what your heavenly Father wants you to hear is, look, there's something that I want you to enjoy and I want you to understand and I want you to grow in and I want you to benefit from. And you are choosing to put yourself in a place where you can't benefit from that because you're chasing sin instead. As people who are in a relationship with God, the way that we can best enjoy that fellowship with God and put our chance to more fully benefit from it is not to chase sin. But our Father... It's like those of us who strive to be good fathers. And you know what we know? Here's what I know. I messed up as a kid. My kids messed up. Your kids are going to mess up. And you know what a father does when their kids mess up? Man, they're kind. They give grace. They don't kick them out of their house. Like the first time your kid knocks the sippy cuff off their little high chair on purpose, you're not like, that's it! I'm kicking you out of the house! Don't ever come back, you four-month-old! Right? We, we don't do that. We, we give them a consequence, but our heart is, man, we, we want to be for them. We want them to help them get back. And so God as a father in his loving grace, there's two things that, that we need to know when we are chasing sin or when we do chase sin or when that's part of the story. And here's the first thing to know when you sin. Maybe some of you, this is you this morning. You're trapped in something. You're trapped in it. And you're chasing it and you're digging into it. And the freedom that you thought a year ago it would give you, that was a lie that you bought into. That it, it, Sin, all, you can write this down. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers. Sin always, ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't mean next week. Maybe next week that sin seems to be delivering what it promised. Maybe in a year. But it's one day and some way. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers. 
And if you're here this morning and you're, you're in that spot and you're like, it! I wish I hadn't come today. I mean, I had to because baby dedication, but ah, let's just like give two rules for fathers about rowing the lawn or something. Here's what God wants you to know. First thing God wants you to know is this. God stands ready to forgive whatever is impeding that fellowship. God stands ready to forgive whatever is impeding that fellowship. We read this in verse Nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I got to move this thing or else I'm going to break a thousand dollars worth of equipment up here. Now, this verse right here, the audience to whom this is written are Christians, okay? The primary audience to whom these words are said, it's not being directed to tell people how to get into a relationship with God. Now, if we're not a Christian and we confess our sins, does God give us salvation? Yes, so that is true. But the audience to whom this is written is not telling people primarily how to get into a relationship with God. It's telling people who are in a relationship with God what to do when they sin and they miss out on the fellowship because they're choosing to chase sin. And what it says is, hey, in that relationship, when you sin, here's what you need to know. God has... When we become Christians, forgiven us of every past, present, and future sin. We, we no longer face wrath from that, okay? So in one way, we're totally forgiven of that. But when we do commit sins, what John seems to be suggesting is, hey, that does do something with the fellowship that you can experience. You don't suffer separation from God. You don't suffer God's wrath for it, right? But it does somehow seem to do something, John seems to be saying, to the fellowship, and so what John says is, hey, if you, you need to deal with it so that you can then get back in the fellowship with God, the kind of fellowship that he wants you to enjoy. Uh, this word confess, what, what the word means is it means to l- say the same thing. Say the same thing. Which means when it comes to sin that what we do is we look at whatever the action is and we say the same thing about it that God says about it. It's wrong. See, see, a lot of times what we do is we justify it, we ignore it, we use fancy words to make it sound more pleasant, like affair. It sounds like a pleasant thing. We, we, and God says, come on, come on. At some point, own it, acknowledge that it's wrong, and man, let's get back going where I want us to go together. And then I love this next part, right? Here's the next thing to know when we do choose to sin. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. This is what he's saying. In moments when I sin, in moments when you sin, the same Jesus who died for us to forgive us, in that moment, the same Jesus is being our defense attorney, right? He, he loves us. He sees who we can be. He knows who the triune God is shaping us to be. And so in that moment, even in our worst sin, what Jesus who died for us is doing is he's advocating for us with the Father. Right? He, he's speaking positively for us for the Father. He's being our defense attorney to try to speak to us. Here's the second thing to know when we choose to sin. In that moment, we have an advocate so that we can move 
past our sin to get back into a fellowship with God, the kind of fellowship, the deep, meaningful fellowship that he's never moved from, that he wants us to enjoy. That's amazing. Do you know what's covered with all this? See, we start to hear things like this, and like, oh my gosh, you're going to tell me all the things not to do. I'm not up here to tell you all the things not to do. I'm just saying if God said not to do it, maybe we shouldn't do it. But even when we do do it, we have a loving Father who is gracious and who is kind who, and who in that moment is still for you. He is still for you. Isn't that crazy? You know what? When people offend me, when I'm like, hey, maybe like, you know, you should do this. And they start screaming at me and throwing things at me. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Oh, I'm like, okay, fine. Right? I'm not for you anymore. Now it's go time. <laughs> but when we do that for God, what our loving Heavenly Father says, he doesn't say it's go time. He says it's come back time. There is grace that is infusing all of this because the heart of God is love. The heart of God is love. When we sin, which we will do, God provides grace and he provides forgiveness and he provides a member of the Trinity to advocate for us so that we can try to get back to where we need to do. That, those are two things to know when we do sin. But, so the next question is, okay, well, is there anything helpful in this, right, that will keep us from sinning? Like, if you're here and you're like, okay, well, I want to enjoy everything I can out of the relationship with God. I want to enjoy that fellowship. So I understand what happens if I do do it, but maybe it'd be nice if I don't have to do do it to begin with, right? It's much easier to avoid a problem than to have to deal with a problem. That's why we teach our children to drive. It's much easier not to get in a car wreck than it is to fix the damage on a fender from a car wreck. So here, here's the first thing. It's going to tell us two things to help us avoid sin. Verse 7 of chapter 1 is the first. But if we walk in the light <clears throat> as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. First thing he says about how to avoid sin is this. If we walk in the light. Now, this describes more of where to walk than how to walk, okay? So we're going to do a little visual aid, right? There is, let's say that that backstage is the light of God, right? It's a little brighter, and in a minute, you're going to get a little darker, and it's going to get a lighter, right? And, and here's what's going to happen, right? If I'm in this place, then, wait, I'm waiting for this dramatic moment where all the lights go down. It's supposed to get much lighter. Oh, look at that. Much lighter. <laughs> this is why you should try these illustrations first, folks. Remember that. Right? But here's the deal, right? This is a brighter area. And if this represents the place in which God wants me to walk, when I'm walking in the light, then I'm walking in the place in which God wants me to walk. I am in the light. I am in fellowship because I am walking where he wants me to walk by obeying his rules, right, and doing what he wants me to do. But when I get out of here, I'm no longer in the light because I'm now in the dark, right, because I'm not where he wants me to be. And so to get back where he wants me to be, I need to be where he wants me to be, and I need to be back in the light. It, it kind of makes common sense, but what John's saying in this whole deal is, look, one way to avoid sin is just simply walk in the places where God wants you to walk to begin with. Simply, if you do what he tells you to do, then you will be doing what he tells you to be doing, and you won't be walking in the darkness. First way 
to avoid sin is walk where God wants you to walk. Walk where God wants you to walk. Do what God wants you to do, and then we will be doing what God wants us to be doing. And in those moments when we're choosing to run over to the sin of the darkness, in those moments, we're not where God wants us to be because we're not where God wants us to be. Walk where God wants you to walk. Now, part of this, right, we always talk about this tension. When we try to be sin-free by ourselves on our own power, we are going to fail. None of this is about us trying to be better, nicer, fake, putting on some happy, clappy, fake mirage image and in our own power be perfect, sin-free people. We can't do it. Right? There's the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us, who enables us. Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He is the one who begins the work. He is the one who completes the work. This is not try harder, do better, be a nicer person, legalism 101. Right? Because that doesn't get anybody anywhere but being fake or becoming discouraged or checking out neither of which are good options. This is saying that within us as a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit that empowers us to avoid sin, and he will enable us and empower us and work, and at the exact same time, we gotta make choices. We gotta make choices. And those two things coming together is what God uses in the process to make each of us more like Jesus. God wants you to be more like Jesus. God wants you to be the person that he originally created you to be in all of your beauty and personality and gifting and fullness and vibrancy. And he doesn't want that to be diminished, and that's what he's working towards in this process. And in that process, the Holy Spirit who began the work will be faithful to complete the work. And in that process, at the same time, we have a choice. I say it a lot because it's true. We live our lives one choice at a time. We live our lives one choice at a time. And one year from now, on Father's Day 2022-23, who you are, in part, will be a reflection of all of the little, teeny, tiny choices that you make over the year. We get into good places because of choices. We get into some really, really bad choices, places because of choices. And what's interesting is those really, really bad places that we sometimes get, sometimes when we make that first choice, we're not thinking that. You're not. We're not. Because sometimes when you make that first choice, you know what you tell yourself? I, I can handle this. Ah, this isn't that big a deal. I can manage this. I can hide this. I can control this. I can keep from this becoming unbig. It's only one time. It's only this. It's only going back to that Starbucks where that barista was kind of cute and smiled at me when I ordered. And I'm just going to go back tomorrow. It's no big deal. I'm not cheating on my wife. But man, what if I can just go back tomorrow and let me just see if she smiles at me again and she smiles at you again. So you make a choice to go back the next day. And the next day. 
You start talking more, and somehow in all that, a number gets exchanged, and somehow in all that, she says, oh, well, I get off, man, my shift ends in like five minutes. Do you want me just to buy an espresso? Man, I wanted to talk for two minutes. I'd just love to ask you this question about something. So you're like, okay. I mean, come on, what can a two-minute conversation do with a barista who smiled at you? Why can that be so bad? So you make a choice. And a series of choices months down the road or years down the road get you to this place where these will be the words that you will say to your family or to your pastor, I never, ever thought this would happen to me. You'll say it because people have said it. And then he'll say, how did this happen? How did this happen? How did I get here? Well, Bubba, you got there? Because way back over here, you made a choice, and it was the wrong choice, and you kept building on those choices. We live our life one choice at a time. Walk where God wants you to walk. That will help us avoid sin. And the second thing he says, and this is kind of interesting, and um, I don't fully understand it. But God says it, so I think it's, we should believe it to be true, don't you? Sounds good to me. Here, here's what he says. Second thing to help us avoid sin. Chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 3. See what kind of love, right? This is still getting back to how we avoid sin now. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. I love this next line. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And then this next piece is, right, so man, there is hope that who we are now is not who one day we will be. That is an encouragement for me because I am a knucklehead. And then not only is there hope, but there's this thing that flows out. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. What John is saying is this, that as Christians, we live to this hope, this reality, that one day we're going to be perfected, we're going to be glorified, we're not going to be tempted, we're not going to sin, we're just going to do everything that God wants us to do. And then what he says is this, and those who have that hope, somehow that helps us sanctify ourselves. Somehow that helps us make the right choices. That, somehow that makes us depend on the Holy Spirit for the power to avoid temptation, right? Somehow that hope helps us in our process of life of avoiding sin. I used to play soccer, and I was terrible. Only reason I played soccer was because I thought I was somewhat adequate at basketball and I wanted to stay in shape, but I hated soccer. And you know what I really hated most about soccer? You ran a lot, at least back in the 80s when men were men and boys were boys and we were strong, right? None of this like, oh, yeah. man, we ran till like our legs fell off. And then when we were like, there was no like, I'm tired. Can I sit this out? It was like, yeah, you can sit it out. Why don't you do 400 push-ups? That'll be a good rest. And then we ran some more, right? I mean, yeah, we ran and we ran and we ran. And sometimes it was that hot late August, September where that humidity is still there and we're just running. And all those people who were really good were really far ahead of me running faster. I'm like, you, nah. <laughs> when I got to the point that I was like, I'm done running, you know what I thought about? My mom, back circa 1988, 89, before seltzer was even a thing, she somehow finds at this organic natural food store something this, 
these amazing cans of cherry seltzer. And they had the perfect amount of cherry-infused goodness. And they had the perfect amount of carbonation. And every day when I would get home from soccer practice, I would pop open one of those, and I would get a glass, a glass glass of ice cubes. And I would pour that seltzer over it. And it would bubble. And it would foam. And me being my 17-year-old stinky, nasty, sweaty self would just enjoy that seltzer. About lap 47 of lap 57, you know what I started thinking about? That seltzer. I'm not lying. I can, I can taste it today. <laughs> in fact, right now in the sermon, I'm starting to think about it. <clears throat> lap 47 of 57, I'd start thinking, man, you know what? When I'm done with this, that seltzer's waiting. And I'm just going to keep going because I'm going to keep going because when I keep walking and keep going and keep pressing and keep pressing and keep pressing, that seltzer's waiting. And in a ridiculous way, knowing what was coming in that stupid seltzer gave me the ability to keep going on the path that I should run. What you as a Christian have waiting for you so surpasses a stupid seltzer from a health food store. It is experiencing the presence and the glory of Jesus when in that moment, in an instant, everything that has been challenging about living by faith and living by hope will be erased in a moment. When you will look into the eyes of the person who gave his life for you because of his love for you, and he says to you, well done. Your story is just beginning. That's what you got waiting for you. So if you're on lap 47 of 57, what John says is that hope of what is waiting should give you the ability to keep on running. Remember that one day you won't struggle with sin anymore. And why do we do this? Here's why we do it. And I'll ask the worship team to come up here with this. Here's the reason why we avoid this. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. This is the love of God. I won't bore you with the Greek because who cares about it? But what this means is this, that this is our love for God. The way that we show our, it's not God's love for us. It's our love for God. And the way that we show our love for God is that we keep his commandments. Maybe some of you are thinking, how can I, how can I let God know that I love him so much? Obey him. Obey him. Our motivation for obedience is our love for God. God wants you to remember that you have a deep and meaningful relationship and fellowship with him. And one of the things that will enable you to best enjoy that fellowship is for you to avoid sin. And he's told us some things to know when we do sin. He's told us some things to know to avoid it. And then he's given us the motivation for it. And so tomorrow, here's what I'd encourage us to do. Will you simply take some time to thank your heavenly Father for his grace, for his love, that he pursued us, he saves us, he wants to be in a relationship with us, 
He forgives us when we sin, and he's given us the tools to avoid sin tomorrow. After you celebrate your dad on this Father's Day, will you take a few minutes tomorrow to think about your heavenly father and thank him for his grace? And now as we conclude our service, we're going to think about that truth and that reality that's waiting for us in heaven. So I invite you to stand and we'll sing this together and affirm the hope that we have that will give us the ability to continue to press on well in the race that we're running.